Welcome, episode five of Future of Beauty Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Cook, Head of Growth and Innovation here at the Pull Agency. And today, I have a very, very exciting guest with us today, Alice Langston, Marketing Manager for Cordley Skincare within UK and Ireland. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so, I've been so excited to talk to you today. Alice is a passionate ambassador for beauty and has worked on several international luxury and beauty brands. Having a passion for skincare in particular stemmed from your own personal skincare struggles that, you know, we'll hopefully talk about a bit more today. It's led to her forever scanning the back of packaging to ensure products were effective, yet gentle and made of quality ingredients. Nowadays, Alice is the marketing manager for Cordely within the UK. Cordely, for any of you that don't know, is a French skincare company specializing in, I may not say this right, is it vinotherapy? Correct. <laughs> it's known for its skincare products, harnessing extracts from the grape and grapevine. Uh, the brand favors natural, active ingredients that respect the environment. It is a global brand present in 27 countries with over 40 vinotherapy or boutique spas in countries around the world. So lots and lots to talk about today. Um, thank you so much for coming along. I've been so excited to speak to you. I think one of the things that... Um, for me was really interesting when I first kind of met you was we very quickly got into this discussion around the differences of the consumers within mm. the market and I know that the UK consumer in particular even if you aren't in the market currently is something that everyone seems to be fascinated about you know it's a really aggressively growing space and there are brands constantly entering it. Um, Kantar's latest evolving beauty consumer report showed um, purchasing naturally produced ingredients in face and body products grew from 18% in 2017 to 24% of sales in 2021 on average. Um, the latest increase in France, where the shift went from 23% of consumers in 2019 to 32%. So particularly in France, there was a massive, massive shift as one of the leading brands kind of championing natural ingredients, very much coming from France being kind of your blood and where you guys started, can we discuss a bit the trend on this and actually maybe talk about some insights as to why we think that consumers are seeking that cleaner skincare now? I think that as customers, we are so much more aware now of anything we're putting in or on our bodies. In terms of information, it's so much more readily available than ever before and we care. We care more than ever before. If you think about, the way I like to look at it is if you think about when you're eating food, we know there's a significant difference between putting something in your body that is a processed processed diet, which is obviously fatty, you know, not healthy whatsoever, versus a really nice fresh, fresh diet intake. There's a significant difference in how you will feel. Therefore, your skin is the exact same. You're putting genetically modified molecules and active ingredients that have been made potentially from quite cheap ingredients or you you use natural ingredients that are literally from the ground mm. and you can see it you know your skin takes to it so much better literally like having a really vitamin rich diet well it's like a, it's one of the biggest organs well it is the biggest it's organ in the body the biggest organ, yeah. yeah and I don't think a lot of people remember that sometimes and that yeah you need to treat it as you would with your internal organs if not better I think definitely that's one of the things I found that's been fascinating so I know look, the pandemic has got a lot to do with I think how people have been looking at how they 
um, look after themselves, manage their stress, their mental health, and also that work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one of the biggest things that we saw a shift of was around the growth in the supplement space Mm -hmm. because people were realizing that they've got to look after themselves from the inside out, right? And um, I guess up until that point, very much in the UK market, it was about covering those Mm -hmm. issues within the skin. So makeup was very much the dominant kind of um, product within that space. And I think because people were wearing makeup less and Mm -hmm. all of the other things that come that we don't need to keep talking about, um, you kind of saw a shift where people like, actually, I need to kind of look after the canvas more. Mm -hmm. I know that my own skincare routine quadrupled in lockdown. I was forever like going on calls and they're like, what are you doing? I've just got some teeth whitening strips on or I've just got a face mask or hair mask or, you know. Um, Because I think it was when things were a bit slower, you did have that time. Um, Do you think that the French consumer is um, a little bit different in comparison to where the UK consumer was when it came to looking after your skin? Absolutely. They, um, I mean, now working for Cordially, I do, I'm luckily um, get to travel to France quite often for big meetings and things and they have a quality of life and it really makes you realise that how, you know, it's not all just um, aesthetic. Absolutely. They take their time, they take a long lunch and they really seek quality ingredients I mean it's no it's no best kept secret that we think you know French food is some of the best in the world because they really champion what they have in terms of homegrown produce and um, again with quarterly everything is made within France and I think that particularly the French customer they're so loyal and really see the natural kind of um, enjoyment out of using French, a French brand and the, the quality of the ingredients and everything is it is absolutely paramount and it, it, it shows it makes a massive difference. And do you think that, um, obviously, you guys do have a presence within the UK, but we've spoke about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, while I was familiar with Calderly, I think I wasn't necessarily as completely aware of the scale mm-hmm. until I really started talking to you and doing my research and went, whoa, why is this, what's going on with the UK market then? And I think a huge part of that was this attitude towards um, the balance between the price point and the product. And I think there's definitely, because it is such a busy market, every kind of day there's a new skincare brand <laughs> coming in and they're sustainable and they're ethically sourced and there's all these amazing things about them. But it just means there's so many for the consumer to choose. How do you guys kind of compete in that kind of market space when you are very much, I guess, focused on that quality and it is a lifestyle thing like we were talking about earlier? The um, same here. When I first started to work for Cordley, I didn't I didn't quite realise the, the scale and the growth or the the magnitude that this brand has, particularly within Europe. And yes, okay, it's not quite there in the UK yet. That's my job. To you know, we're really looking to make sure our messaging and what we have to offer as a brand is is shown within the UK market. But my God, it is competitive mm. and it's really difficult. And what Cordly have it actually to its absolute. Um, What's the word? Um, you know, to its advantage is the fact that it's got years behind it and mm. it has learnt lessons and it has an incredibly loyal customer within Europe and actually it's learnt its lessons and it has its weight is in its longevity. I wholly, wholly believe that. And um, but in the UK it's difficult because, like you said, there is so much noise and we are very like. I think as customers, we're very excited in the UK. We see something new. We see something thriving on Instagram. We see, you know, the latest influencers using this next next brand. The miracle we, product. Yeah, and we're all, you know, 
in a way kind of sheep and we follow and we oh my gosh this you know it's it's all you know, the marketing can be so aggressive and we're all sucked in I am mm. you know um but of, aren't of, we all <laughs> yeah o- often though sometimes um you know they don't survive or because they have almost like a one hit wonder and in order to build a really big scale brand that is going it's long lasting is it almost needs to be a bit slower and you take the hit of maybe not being all over you know all over every retailer all, all one time for you know because it just doesn't last it's the reality of it and quarterly are we're a little bit slower we but we make quality even within every ingredient with every marketing campaign we do it's all to absolute quality and eventually it stands the test of time mm, absolutely I know that um one of the things I found interesting was since 20. 20- 12 um quarterly has been a member of the one percent for the planet network mm-hmm. um and recently announced plans to extend its eco-friendly mission to southeast asia um can you give us any updates on how this is actually kind of progressing or any i guess key milestones or learnings yeah, absolutely so um many we have many initiatives actually but one of them is the one percent of the planet and essentially in a nutshell that means that we invest back one percent of our profits yearly on um putting back within to the initiative and that actually buys new trees um since 2012 i think we've planted over one million trees within these environments so particularly within places like asia and brazil peru etc where there's high um high levels of deforestation it means that we're able to start combating back the um yeah, the, the effects and the harmful effects of deforestation. So it also links to things like the WWWF, so helping with the wildlife um, that within those regions to make sure that we're giving back to the planet and almost offsetting everything that we, we consume and we use. We, we can't just take and not give anything back, and that's, yeah, that's an amazing part of what Cordley do. The other thing that they do have, and actually it was a, an initiative that we started as a brand, is um, their Plastic Collect um, initiative as well which is uh, means essentially for every single piece of plastic that we use Mm. and we consume as a business we also collect it back from places where they've got really bad you know marine pollution through you know unfortunately there's a plastic within the beaches and as a business we go back and collect the same amount that we use so there's so many things and actually interestingly we started that initiative there's a logo and everything that we can you know we we kind of shout about but other brands competitive brands of ours are actually um, wanting to be part of it. So it's bigger, you know, yeah. sometimes actually when it comes down to things like sustainability and things that are really impacting our planet in a positive way, so what if our competitors want to join? It's an absolutely amazing thing and it's something we should be really, really proud of. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that um, Ole actually did it when it came to inclusive packaging so it's from an accessibility point of view they created and patent they didn't actually patent it which I thought was amazing um they created a lid with wings mm-hmm. so anyone that struggled from a dexterity point of view um there was a way for them to easily open the packaging and rather than actually closing it off and saying no this is ours this is connected to our brand yeah. this is what makes us amazing they went we're not going to patent it actually we're going to share it go crazy you should be thinking about other people and a lot of their competitors then did start looking into this and I think that says a lot about a company mm-hmm. and it's it's ethos and it's mindset when it comes to genuinely wanting to make a positive impact whether that be in the category because we look, we all know the beauty category is crazy for plastics mm-hmm. um you know the expiration dates of products you know there are so many different reasons why it's really hard to be as good as you can be from a sustainability point of view but I think when you're kind of looking at going look we can't undo all of these things but we can try and 
balance it out at least. I think, you know, we did um, a piece of research um, last year on sustainability. Do your consumers really care? And the answer was yes, they did. They did really care. And what I found really fascinating about the research was that all the consumers felt it was on them to make those positive changes. And and the reality is... (laughs) It's on the companies. Absolutely. Um, And I think by having more of these companies talking about it and kind of going, look, we are going to walk the walk and talk the talk. I think it's actually what's going to make the industry and just the world generally a better place. Um, Speaking of making the world a better place, um, in previous interviews, your founder, Matilda Thomas, discussed how more countries should embrace the pleasure principle as a way of life. For anyone that is unaware, which was me up until this point, um, can you describe what that actually means by the pleasure principle? I can. I think um, sometimes we forget when we talk about beauty that it is a physical and mental thing. And just because, um, you know, we can put anything within on our face, we can you know, throw on whatever makeup. But if you don't internally, uh, you know, if you're not internally happy or you don't treat yourself in this world, which often we don't do, it shows, you know, you often see a friend, you're like, oh, you look so rested, or you look really well. You can see if you feel good, right? And I think what Matilda really means here is enjoy yourself, treat yourself, you know, and she really living a really kind of all-round balanced way, whether it's mental, whether it's reducing stress levels, whether it's treating yourself to a glass of champs on a Saturday night, like, go for it, because it means everything. At the end of the day, you can be stunning or the most beautiful person in the world but if you don't feel it that means absolutely nothing and it's really nice to be able to work with a female founder who really champions things like this because it really does trickle into the day-to-day of what we all do within and every office it's very stress-free actually and we don't are never expected to overwork and we really are treated and they do they do really champion kind of staffing culture to its max and I think it really shows because, A, we all feel better. I feel very positive to go into work every day. And therefore, you and we all naturally radiate as people. And that in itself is beauty. So, yeah, it's, it's a really, really nice mentality to have. That's, um, firstly, that's amazing. Uh, can I come? <laughs> um, do you know what? On that point, what I find really interesting is that attitude, that culture. Do you think that is a French thing like is that very much because we were talking about kind of that mindset of you know good quality a slower pace of life like we were just talking about the fact that August for you is so quiet because Mm -hmm. in France August is holiday time it's kind of slow down and take a break Mm -hmm. um do you think that kind of stems from the French foundations of of the company and its heritage there's definitely, it's definitely a culture thing. I think there's many European cities, um, you know, I've visited just personally and I think, my gosh, they're very relaxed, you know. Um, and I think in the UK, I mean, it's to our praise that we're really thriving, hardworking people. We always want to better ourselves, particularly living in some of the bigger cities. My God, you never sleep. I mean, in London, mm. I li- and I've lived here for seven years now and I never stop. And it just... Sh- you know, and I, w- I wouldn't have it any other way because it's what we know and we push ourselves and we, you know, we, we get up in the morning and we're expected to have our bulletproof coffee and go to yoga and get to work early and put in a 10-hour shift and go and socialise in the evening and it's like, oh my God, we never breathe. Mm-hmm. And um, 
unfortunately it's not sustainable you know yeah and it does it does show after a while and you do get exhausted and um you know there's it, it yeah it definitely is a, a culture thing and I think sometimes it's it's about learning balance and mm. it's about how we are good we can be good to ourselves and eventually in the UK yeah particularly I mean we, we all suffer you know burnout is a real thing and I think it's particularly within France yeah they it does doesn't it's not as it's not as severe and I think people just know how to have balance balance is such a key 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 word and we can have everything within moderation um and event, you know that means you're just there's a more harmonious way to live your life and yeah I'm definitely going to be taking a leaf out of the book for a long long time from quarterly 100 <laughs> percent. I need to get my life around the pleasure principle a bit more <laughs> I think I think it's really interesting um only from my own personal perspective that was one of the biggest things is you know, people talk about lockdown or or kind of that period of time in lots of different ways and there were some horrendous things that obviously happened but on a personal level for me outside of the not having access to kind of family members or whatever for me I actually found it a really peaceful time to a certain extent because kind of the stresses of everyday life and all the different dynamics of friends and family and having to go and see xyz or do all these things and having that time to kind of go no I'm going to sit here now and I'm going to do a face mask. and now yeah. pretty much most nights when I'm a bit oh, I'm tired and a bit whatever I'm like I'm gonna put a face mask on I'm gonna yeah. put a hair treatment in I'm gonna sit drink a little herbal tea watch some telly yeah. um and it is definitely I think a cultural element to it um I think as well, it's that education piece. So um, as a non-French native person, um, the French approach to skincare, like we spoke about earlier, it has fascinated me massively. And we were having a debate internally around pharmacies. Now, I don't want to go too down the pharmacy route, but pharmacies are pretty much where you get your skincare from mm -hmm. in comparison to the UK mm -hmm. I would never in a million years outside of kind of your bigger kind of pharmacy retailer like Boots or Superdrug or those kind of places and you know they're very much a blend the pharmacy is a small part of that yeah. um, universe but from an independent pharmacy point of view I would never in a million years go my skincare products I'm coming to an end I need to try xyz I'm going to go down to my local independent pharmacy and check out what yeah. they've got on the shelf like what you know in comparison to here what's France like completely the opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> um when I I mean my bread and butter um I mean my, my previous job it was British startup kind of proper key account pure play retailers e-retailers and I almost didn't know about the pharmacy model so obviously I've you know got this amazing wealth of experience and years of building my roster of you know knowing buyers and marketers and you know every every major retailer within the UK globally actually coming into a you know a managerial position at quarterly thinking I know the world and I knew absolutely nothing um, I've had to learn very very quickly just to understand I mean I need to adopt I've got my experience for a reason within the UK and I'm here to make quarterly the best it can possibly be within my market but I need to understand how it currently works within Europe and it is completely the opposite so within France and it's within Europe Italy Germany it's a, a pharmacy model mm. so essentially they see skincare as almost medical because like we said earlier our skin is our biggest organ and you treat it through ingredients and formulas because it's so concern-led mm. and you would go to your pharmacy like you would get you know you diagnose yourself for a potential illness or something you go to get medication and they see skincare is in the exact same realm whereas in the UK it's commercial and yeah. it is almost really trend-led and it's all 
yeah, big competitive, big retail markets where you've got every every major brand under the sun all fe- fighting for a play, you know piece of the pie. And um, but actually in in France or in, in um, Europe, it's you've got less brands who have got quality that can offer a solution to your skincare needs, and you go to a pharmacy. And it's the re- the retailer world is just not really known, or people just don't shop there. And it's a nice way to look really because we've got. I mean, we all want to think about when we go to work for a coffee, we go to an independent just to give people, you know, a little bit of an economic boost. If you think about the pharmacies, they're giving everyone who's got their own really small, beautiful little pharmacy on a high street a chance because they know that they've got a customer that will come and shop there. But it's not like that in the UK. No, it's very much not, isn't it? It's kind of seen as a bit of a, I mean, I can only obviously talk on my personal experiences, but it's a bit stuffy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's very transactional. You go there with your little green piece of paper and you reluctantly pay the amount that it's gone up to that month or whatever it needs to be. And you kind of go away again or, or it's a, you know, you you go and speak to them when they're saying you don't need to come and see the doctor for this. You can go and talk to your pharmacist, yeah. and they're actually really capable, you know, in, intelligent, educated people that are overly qualified in so many different areas, and we just don't utilize them in the UK market in the same way. Um, I know I was talking about it before we started recording earlier, but Catherine, our head of brand strategy, so she's German, and her mum's a pharmacist. I found it fascinating that. Her mum actually used to do her own formulations from a skincare point of view and actually kind of create that kind of apothecary like mm-hmm. approach of just mixing all these potions and bringing them together. And I do think there's definitely a shift. I think that shift is happening um, when it comes to being a bit more aware of that pace of life. I mean, I definitely think the pace of life is speeding back up again. Mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed a shift in this year in particular where everyone's like, get me abroad, get me on holiday, get me kind of, the, you know. Um, but at the same time, um, I think the reason the skincare market is so commercialized is because people are starting to go out and think, hold on a minute, I want to look at the ingredients. I want to think about treating the cause. But there's still this huge education piece. I mean, Carolyn Hines, for example, um, she's constantly like I just want to bring death to wet wipes like you know you've yeah. got kind of these complete opposite types of consumers where I've always been obsessed with skincare always kind of cleanse tone exfoliate moisturize wallet like all these different soon to be nine growing to 25 <laughs> steps that you have to utilize within a stage of time and then you've got some members of my family um, I'm the eldest of, of six kids five of which are girls who every night take their makeup off with a wet wipe and kind of go yeah I'll moisturize once a month and that's that works for me and that's fine for everyone but it's because it is such a a growing market on our what is a tiny little island and yet from a consumer point of view is absolutely mental um from a vinotherapy point of view can we talk about that a bit more? Like, I've never heard of this before. What is this? So, Cordelie was actually born within a vineyard. Um, and even going back to the sustainability perspective, Cordelie was literally born from a waste product. So, vinotherapy in itself is just showing that we... <laughs> With wine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for somebody who likes a glass or two on a weekend, I found the perfect brand for me. See, it is medicinal. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Um, and yeah, interesting. So the founders, um, but family owned a vineyard in Bordeaux and, um, essentially obviously they're, um, manufacturing wine all the time, picking grapes, the, the vine leaves, the vine, um, stalks and things themselves and all the seeds even. And actually they were throwing them away, you know, composting them and things all their lives. And it was only somebody, um, who kind of 
highlighted to them, like, why are you throwing this away? Like, you don't understand the, the antioxidant properties that are within the seeds and the grapes and the flesh and things that you're throwing away here. Like, you've got gold. It's like, yeah. let, let's use this. And um, anyway, you know, years and years and years later, we've got, I've got this brand basically built on grapes. And um, it just, yeah, the, there's everything from the actual leaves, the seeds, the flesh, the skin, and the vine stalks themselves have got so many properties that we now literally put on our faces every day. And um, that is quite literally sustainability at its best, at its best you know. Um, so, yeah. That's amazing. I, I, <laughs> I find that absolutely fascinating I think as well when it comes to if you go back to a brand so we talk a, a lot about purpose a brand's purpose mm-hmm. where it's come from what's its social purposes and and does it genuinely connect does it make sense so um one of our latest reports again like I've spoke to you about on you know is your brand too woke brand versus social purpose it sounds really simple and like when we were kind of presenting the results back a lot of people were like this is common sense yeah. why are we having why are you having to ask consumers that surely yeah. this is common sense and I think that comes down to your point early on around the fact that the UK market is very commercial in, and so sometimes it is finding that best thing that's going to cut through the noise a little bit and whereas with you guys actually you're taking a little bit of a different approach you're mm-hmm. not kind of going in with the aggressive um, hard sell to be everywhere and appropriate to everyone while it sounds like your products absolutely could be so from your like what is your customer in the UK who if someone kind of was listening to this as a, as a brand or a consumer, who who could quarterly help? I mean, we've got a, a, quite a broad customer base in terms of demographic because we've got a lot of products that suit every skin type. I mean, I think I said this earlier, but we've mm. got, I've been ingrained to think as a brand and marketeer that you need to know your audience, you need to know your age category, you need to know, you know, where they shop, what they spend, blah, blah. But actually... For me, that doesn't matter because we've got products that will help you if you're a young, you know, acne-prone skin to somebody who has got ageing skin and wants to prevent wrinkles and things. And actually, what we do have is effective natural and clean ingredient formulas. That is the bread and butter of it. So you, I think that it's only an add-on if somebody really looks and finds us because of our sustainability element. What we have are amazing products that are proven and effective and work. We've got fantastic before and afters. We test everything. We've got our own laboratory. And I think that, I mean, it's an absolute massive tick from our behalf, the fact that we do so many initiatives from sustainability. Mm. But interestingly, what I'm going to say is, it's not that it's secondary at all, because it is everything that we champion. But as a, as a, as a market, as a customer sustainability has got to get to the point where it's just expected mm. and I had a really interesting chat with a retailer recently and I said you know because I'm always trying to fight for places for, to showcase quarterly within these retail retailer markets mm. and actually I said you know do you have it ever do months where you highlight sustainable brands do you ever do a campaign where you highlight um, vegan brands and she said to me she's like we're not doing that anymore and I thought why and she said because it's got to get to the point where it's expected. I don't whether you're a science-led brand or whether you are a vegan brand. You know, it's the 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 goal of in you know in our market is that it always will be and every brand has to be because we're not going to be able to start championing the world in the way that we need and making the biggest differences. Is if oh, but we're a science brand, so we don't need to tick that box. You know, it, it's a really interesting one, but it's yeah, it's quite philosophical to think about. But it's yeah, we. It's all going to be about what you stand for and the, the, the ingredients you've got to, it's got to work. Yeah. And then the fact that you are sustainable, natural, clean and clean is 
is also just there, but it's a given. It's really interesting as well that kind of retailers and I guess the the press and, and kind of uh, people in that area are starting to have that approach because I think you're absolutely right. You know, it shouldn't be a marketing tactic. And that's mm-hmm. the same with the social purpose piece is yeah. every company should just have this. Every company should have it because you want to be, you know, a better company, a better yeah. human, a, a better everything and helping yeah. contribute towards a better world, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be your marketing approach. Exactly. And I think that's definitely one of the challenges. And so I think that's really refreshing about you guys and what you do is, yes, it is a big part of how you talk and how you think and it and it bleeds back very much into where you started from mm-hmm. so there's that sustainability point of we don't throw anything away even when we produce our wine yeah. by the way wine's really good for you <laughs> put it on your face everyone's going to be going away and em- emptying a glass yeah. of blush and like rubbing on their cheeks and going <laughs> this isn't working how I hoped it would um but you know one of the things you touched on earlier as well was your background before you came to quarterly which sounds like it was actually very different mm-hmm. and where what were your kind of learnings in your previous roles and um I think you talked about it was very much from kind of a smaller startup perspective how's that in comparison to quarterly within the UK space I think I I mean oh my gosh my my the the previous my previous job I worked for one more one skin um who are have always got a place in my heart I absolutely they've they've they're championing an amazing thing within the UK because they um they were a startup when I when I started and I was really I'm so beyond proud to have been there from early days because oh my gosh I saw the background of, of you know real hardship actually and I think that the strength in my experience and everything that I learned there is only going to help me you know yeah. with with bigger brands like quarterly because I know how difficult it can be to attack the market and mm. how it's so challenging um so from new launches to launching within a retailer to how do we market right and the one thing that 111 did really well was its connections through its makeup artist relationships and it was almost the hottest brand within the UK and it still is you know and it, but its approach was through influencer through press through eventing through fashion shows and oh my god it was really fun mm. um and I think that it was you know it just shows how hard you have to work as a as a team to yeah. make sure your brand thrives and grows and what's the messaging and being really authentic and having strong founders. I mean, like Quarterly, it's founded by husband and wife. One Woman Skin was founded by husband and wife and it, you're there every day holding the hands together, mm. you know, to make sure that you're doing all the right things. And really from my learning perspective, I couldn't have asked for a better, you know, learning within the UK market. And I think it's definitely helping me quarterly because they are I think because of how complex the UK market can be that again that kind of hardship that I've you know really been there and stood Mm. the test of time for five years I mean god we worked really you know really strong long hours weekends doing everything we possibly can to make our brand shine and it it worked you know and so having that experience is definitely helping me accordingly for anyone that's listening that doesn't know who 111 Skin are. Can you kind of give them a, a quick bio? Sure. <laughs> uh, so 111 Skin are a uh, medical-led brand who um, was actually founded by a plastic surgeon on Harley Street. Um, the clinic is still practicing. He's still a practicing surgeon now, um, Dr. Yanis, and he um, has a clinic at 111 Harley Street. And then 111 Skin was birthed because I think completely polar opposite quarterly, but what Dr. Yanis was finding that because he is a plastic surgeon, no formulas on the market was 
were really strong enough to help his um, patient's skin heal after they've had invasive surgery. Mm. So therefore, he was having to create his own formulas to actually be able to heal the skin from a kind of three-dimensional level because he was making incisions and things. And there's only so much sometimes from a epidermal kind of to uh, topical skincare that actually really helps wounds. So it's from a very medical perspective. And essentially, it just bloomed I, I, yeah. I don't think they ever anticipated it being such a commercial brand I think it was more just from the place of wanting to help people mm. recover but actually next minute we're in Harrods and then we're launching and we're off you know it yeah. was it was really amazing but the um yeah it's the bread and butter of the brand is, is all from a surgery kind of plastic surgeon um, perspective mm. bit of a random question but you you mentioned it earlier so it was kind of designed around with with the focus to help people heal mm -hmm. um and it is topical right so there's only so much that putting it on top mm -hmm. of the skin can do Absolutely. was there any focus in actually from a nutritional and supplement point of view that that was looked at absolutely so i think it was um two years ago they launched um supplements mm -hmm. one the, the original was called the reparative beauty dose and it got to the point where we quite literally couldn't keep it off on the shelves it, really like I think it yeah it, it went out of stock as fast as it went into the stores and you thought oh my gosh actually wait a minute you just think of skincare as a topical thing and actually people understand that the, the you've got to be healing from the inside out and yeah. you've got to you know um feed yourself from the inside out and actually from that it was like right we need to make more because again with supplements not one size fits all so yeah. we're then creating ones for people who struggle with hormonal imbalances and things and that a lot of that is to do with your gut mm -hmm. and and the microbiome within your gut don't so start therefore, me on gut health <laughs> <laughs> so therefore um you know it's it was really important that we created different supplements to mm. for different needs and it really is and in an in and out approach to your skincare, which again all comes down to lifestyle and all those factors. And um, the other thing that they have, um, if anyone's close to London, um, in um, Harvey Nichols, they've got a cryotherapy suite, um, which is like a cold, um, cold yeah. therapy chamber. And again, that's all about you know boosting hormonal levels. Um, it's amazing for mental mentality um, therapy and things like that. So it's really a three sixty approach to kind of complete wellness. Um, so yeah, always looking at making sure that we can maximise what we can offer as a as a brand to ensure that there's a whole holistic approach to skincare too. I find it fascinating when you start talking about, this is why I love this category so much in this industry, because when you really start peeling, it is literally like an onion. Yeah. You just start peeling the layers back and we'll go, right, we'll talk about what we've got to put on top of our face. And then we're going to talk about what we need to take. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about your gut. Mm -hmm. And they're three, like 80% of your hormone production comes from your gut. Mm -hmm. My life changed the day I actually learned that piece of information, I think, because I kind of just would, you know, eat whatever I wanted. I'd go, oh, I'm exercising, so it's fine. Whereas actually when you really start thinking about understanding that one size doesn't fit all, mm -hmm. um, it's the same with skincare. It's the same with hair care. It's the same, you know, we were talking earlier about skin mapping. So with Tropic Skincare, for example, they map um, dependent on your problem areas. Hair mapping should totally be a thing as well. You know, yeah. everyone just takes one product and goes, well, I'm going to put it on my ends, but actually that might not be the best thing for you. And by using different products in different ways, be that, you know, scalp exfoliation, mm -hmm. like um, all these different kind of approaches and, and ways to looking after yourself. But I think if you go right back to looking at it from the inside out and that inside out thinking um, and the approach that you kind of have there, I think it really does show. And, there, and I do think that shift is still, we aren't there yet, I don't think as a UK consumer. And I think part of the, 
challenge or problem, however you want to position it, is there's too much noise. Mm -hmm. There's so much going on. Do you go in and, you know, hyaluronic acid or all these different types of acids that are mm. emerging. I saw one about celery water or something the other day. And, you know, next thing we'll be talking about mushroom serum. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I think all these different kind of serums and acids and approaches, it kind of becomes a bit overwhelming and it becomes this cocktail that you kind of have to just try a bit of everything, but sometimes they counteract each other and the enzymes actually don't work. Yeah. And there's so many different ways from an education point of view for a consumer. And I think that's where brands have a great opportunity to go, you know, you're never going to know as much as the professional because we've spent years and years developing and honing that craft unless you go and become a dermatologist or whatever it be yourself. Um, but I think sharing some of that knowledge rather than just claiming it's the next best thing, I think is the biggest opportunity for brands within a very busy space. Yeah. Um, for Cordially and what you're doing kind of with them now, do you think education's a really big part of that process? I absolutely paramount. And I think that, you know, it, it a, makes you a highly authentic brand, but, you know, we really do know what we're talking about. And I think when it comes to skin, like customers really need their relief because they're probably struggling with something. So mm. they need to be safe in the hands that you really know what you're talking about and are actually be able to help them. Mm. You know, it really, some people suffer with skincare so severely that they need, they need advice and they need a helping hand. And I think, I mean, I'm a, you know, I've come from market marketing world where I'm trying to speak to people physically within a store space and digitally online. And from an online perspective, it's sometimes really challenging to allow or, or almost to give an offer a tool online that customers can self-diagnose and know mm. that there's a quarterly solution for them. But what the beauty you have in our boutiques and things within London or our stores where we've got sales advisors is they are so trained, you know, from our head trainers or from Paris that they then are able to be a, a secondary voice to our lab laboratories and everything, all the formulations that we work. And then customers can physically go in and almost have a uh, consultation and really look at their skin and talk about their lifestyle and be able to come up with a routine that is bespoke to them that actually is going to help them other, over the just you know winging it and slapping mm. something on your face and hoping for the best but yeah in order to be authentic you've got to be able to give the proper advice and the other thing is before ensuring that you're able to show before and afters because they speak for themselves. Yeah. You know, we do so many testing. It takes so long. Mm. And actually, you can't launch products for so long until you've got those before and afters and you've gone through the processes of actually showing the results and how they do really improve because that is what is its goal to the customer because they can see that the product actually does work. And on a personal level, I know that um, you kind of mentioned earlier, one, you know, your journey into this category started from your own challenges yeah. can you talk a bit more about your own personal experience yeah. in that way for sure I think um you know always wanting to be within the beauty realm and the kind of fashion realm and or what my experience with my degree and things but it's there's so far or far I could have gone with you know where I wanted to go within like a retail kind of commercial mm. product marketing perspective but for me, the natural kind of affiliation with towards beauty was it had to be skincare because so from a young age really um, since probably fourteen I've always struggled with my skin and you know I, I just you know it's one of those things where you know I have pretty bad acne and things and really always just slapping foundation on and hoping for the best and probably quite cheap concealers that you know and it didn't do me any favors and I thought oh my god I'm gonna have to take this into my own hands and it only became 
almost like a need of desperation to find products that started to work. And it is very much trial and error, but I was always finding I needed to look at the back of ingredients or I need to do secondary research and making sure that it was, yeah you're, having, yeah, you're having to make sure that you're putting things on your face that are not making it worse or potentially going to offer a, a sign of relief. And I think it then becomes obsessive and you think, well, what does that ingredient do? Or this really helped my skin and, you know, making sure that you're constantly evolving your routine to make, to, yeah, to opt to help really. And um, it then became obsessive and then therefore skincare was really, had to be my kind of calling because of how much personal knowledge and research that I'd done myself. So, and then, yeah, seven years later, I was still, still within the industry and I can't, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of for life, really. It's, um, it's a really interesting one because it's so personal, isn't it? And no matter what anyone says, whether you're really lucky and kind of haven't struggled with your skin mm -hmm. and like my sister just uses wet wipes <laughs> uh, and still looks amazing, ugh, hate her, um, or you've really struggled. I mean, I've gone through a mixture throughout the years um, and I still do at times where I can sit there and go, okay, life's getting... Life's and stresses are getting the better of me at the moment. I need to rein it back in and kind of try and understand what's causing those problems is, you know, it is the biggest organ in the body, but also it's one of the ones that you can't really hide. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, from a mental health point of view, has a lot of impact on people, a lot of challenges. You know, when you're constantly trying to look after yourself and use all these different products, you kind of get sucked down this black hole, don't you, of just trying to always find that best way to resolve the challenge be that actually understanding and taking a step back and going sticking a load of makeup on my face isn't going to help and that was definitely I think where consumers like I mentioned earlier mm -hmm. started and I do think there's a shift so uh, be more be more French is what I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to understand from this conversation today um, but it is just around sharing kind of that look after the inside as well as the outside manage the stress that uh, pleasure principle as we're going to mm -hmm. call it and just slowing everything down um, I have one final question for you. I have loved speaking about this. I genuinely could speak about this. All, I say this every single podcast I do. I'm like, I could talk about this for days because I, I think it's amazing. And everyone's got always a slightly different view on it and their own experience and their own driving factors. And I love this vinotherapy approach where actually you really are walking the talk mm -hmm. to a certain extent um, and wanting to genuinely help and make a difference is if you could give one piece of advice to the brand marketers, people listening now, what would that be? Um, be authentic because people can see right through it if you're not. And um, I know it's a tricky one. There's so many. Yeah, I've got people that do a few. I think, yeah, it has to be paramount to be authentic because as a customer, you can see right through it. And at the end of the day, as a marketer, um, it's so difficult to start talking or start marketing something that is just not believable yeah. because it's absolutely rubbish. And um, I think that's, you know, for me, it's a helping hand with Cordley because it's just got so much longevity behind it. And it is so um, credible that it, it makes a massive difference because it's believable and people warm to it and people you know buy into it because it's true um so yeah it has to be to be authentic do you think that's down to the fact that it's owner led still and it was started by a couple as you mentioned definitely because i think they just have so much more passion and mm -hmm. it shows it's, you know you've got these big conglomerates and don't get me wrong they do a fantastic job and they've built amazing brands that are 
beautiful, mm. but there's just something deeper when there's an authenticity. And I think it can't be, it's definitely come from being founder led because they really, you know, you're working for their, for their own passions, really. Their baby. Yeah. And it makes, and you feel like you're making a difference as well being there too. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been so lovely speaking no with you. Um, I can't wait to see what you guys do with Cordley next. So keep an eye out, guys. Um, thank you so much for listening today. As I've mentioned always, uh, please do get in touch at podcast at thepoolagency.co.uk. If you like what you hear, if you have any questions, if you want to get involved, um, or even if you just want to say hi. But thank you so much. And thank you so much again, Alice, for joining us today. And I'll speak to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you.